0: It's Wednesday night, and we are in a subject that is got, it's like a spider web, it's like a pinwheel. Uh, when we try to say something about what the Bible is about, we've been talking about tongues. When you talk about tongues, it takes you to all of these different areas of the Bible. And when you talk about these other things, they they go off and branch into so many other areas. The Bible is like a pinwheel. It just branches everywhere. And they eventually come back and run into each other. And uh, it, it goes in a circle. So you can have all of these areas over here. In order to preach on tongues, you have to know the meaning of the word tongue. I hate the Pentecostal movement with a passion because I believe that it is Pentecostal charismatic movement is a part of the great apostasy in the world without a doubt tongues are false faith healing is false it's not true I've said it so many times here when the Bible says thy faith has made thee whole every time it says that the word whole is sozo, S-O-Z-O. Well, how do you know that, Jim? Well, it's really easy. If you've got a Strong's, uh, not a Strong's, if you've got a Word Study Concordance, or you've got this program on your Internet, and you can look it up on a program, all you have to do is look up a word in the Bible, and then look it up in your concordance, and look up that word here, or by the Strong's number here, and it'll give you every time that word's mentioned, and it'll give you how many times, here's a word mentioned 102 times, all through the Bible, all through the New Testament, it'll give you the number of times and give you the word. Sometimes the words will differ. They may. You've got 12 different words. I believe it's 12 that have been translated to the word ordained in the New Testament in their 12 different words do you think you need to look up the word ordained every time you see it you exactly need to do that now I'm trying to teach people how to evaluate the scripture in order to know what was going on in Acts 2 in Acts 2 you have to define the word tongue well, the word tongue, there's two words for the word tongue in Acts 2. You have the word dialectos. It looks like our word dialect, and that's exactly what it is. A dialect is a, a part is a language, the way it's spoken in a given area with a, a shade to it or a uh, some kind of uh, personality to it. And even the words will differ wherever you go. But they had a different dialect or dialectos in the all the city-states. I keep saying a city-state was an area where a, a city ruled. If you're here in, this is Israel here. Israel had a dialect in southern Judah They had a dialect in northern Israel, and they had a dialect in Syria. They had a dialect over here in Galatia. They had a dialect in some of these churches where these churches are. Here's Thyatira, and here's Laodicea, and Smyrna, and the Pergamus. Those were the seven churches of ages. You could come over here, and you'd have all these different dialects. And those dialects would differ as much as two foreign languages today. You can have a a Spanish language, and Spanish is a Latin-based language, Spanish. Well, you take Latin, and you're going to take some Spanish, and Italian is a Latin-based language. And if you find the word diabolos it will be the same in these languages, diabolos, one of the words for devil, and diabolos, and you could, you would also have in the Greek, diabolos, so, but it doesn't mean because you can speak Italian, that you can understand Spanish, it means that you'll recognize a word, in one of those other Latin based languages, so, whenever you would travel around the world, I was said this, let me make this real clear. Jesus, after he raised from the dead, he goes up here into northern Israel. And he's up here at the Sea of Galilee. Here's the Black Sea. Here's the Sea of Galilee. It was also called the Sea of Tiberias, named after one of the emperors later, after Augustus was dead and Tiberius Caesar came in and he he comes up here Jesus comes up here he resurrects he goes to meet with the apostles up at the sea of Galilee walks into a room and the doors are not even open the doors are shut he just walks in he didn't walk through a door he walks through the wall just appears and when he goes up there he tells the apostles He's with them, and 11 of the apostles are from northern Galilee. Galilee is up here in the northern section. The entire nation of northern Israel was called Samaria. At one time, Samaria was just a city. Then it kind of took on the meaning of all of northern Israel. Well, uh, he comes up here. Now, you you need to understand. The Pharisees were down here in southern Judah. They were the educated people of the day. That's why they were ruling the people in a... They were ruling them literally with the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish Judging Council, 70 of these judges. They were ruling Israel, and they were the educated people, and they looked down their nose on Samaria. They wouldn't have anything to do with Samaria. Samaria was a bunch of ignorant redneck type people they spoke a broken dialect they did not they weren't educated at all 11 of the apostles were from northern Galilee Judas was the only one from southern Judah Judas of course when he's dead you got these 11 apostles and Jesus comes to him after he resurrects from the dead at the very end of the gospels particularly there in Matthew 28 and uh, 18, 19. He comes to them and he tells these ignorant apostles, go into all the world and teach all nations. And they're going, what? Are you, are you serious? We all didn't know a dialect of the corne. Corne is the word common. Of the common street language, all we know, we don't, how can we go over to Galatia and talk to these people we don't know their dialect how can we go over here to Athens or Corinth and teach them because we don't know nothing about these people up here in Macedonia and Thessalonica and Philippi but God had a man set aside for that and that was the apostle Paul Paul was very educated. He knew a lot of dialects. Besides that, God gave them a gift. If they ran across somebody that did not have the right dialect or right glossa, gloss is the word foreign language, God gave them a gift of, of dialects or glosses so they could speak and these people could hear in their own dialect what he was saying. God couldn't have sent these simple common fishermen all over the world and sent paul around the world if he did not work with their minds and have them to be educated enough to talk to these people and that's what acts two is about it's about i've said it already and i'm going to try to get to the 14th chapter try to get to the fourth back to the 14th chapter and finish that up the two chapters that all the Pentecostals, you say, Jim, are you giving them a hard time? You bet your life. I have been in a hundred Pentecostal churches across America as a gospel singer when I was young, and I went in there and I knew something was bad wrong with what they were doing, making noise and jabbering and jumping up and down and dancing and twirling and doing backflips over benches. I thought there's something wrong with this and I had to study it for years before I could really find out what it was about it's just their emotionalism it's an emotional move and they subject themselves to the adrenaline rush of the music in the audience that's all they do it's really it's a bad news thing I encourage everybody to get out of it it's not right you have to throw definitions away throw history away and it started back here over in Exodus the 23rd chapter 23rd chapter they're coming out of in the 14th chapter they come out of Egypt, Israel does by the 23rd chapter God's given them laws they have to live by and all the males he says has to come back to Jerusalem every year to three festivals and that is Passover Pentecost which is 50 days after Passover, Passover is Nisan Nisan fourteen Nisan is March April and that's the beginning of the harvest March April and that's when the harvest comes in that you planted March April they start they start harvesting the wheat fifty days later comes pent that means five Pentecost and that's uh, and then after that you've got the month Tishri, which is the seventh month, and in that month you have, you have a festival of Feast of Huts. Another name is Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles. And it's the Feast of Ingathering. Ingathering because it's the very end of the harvest in September, October, and the last crops are coming in. And that month, that's the month that they separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep from goats. At the beginning of each of those seven months, they have a new moon festival where they blow a trumpet and they have seven trumpets at the end of it. At the last trump, the sheep are going to be brought in and separated from the goats and the wheat from the tares. And that is a picture of the last Trump where we will be separated from this world now they were given these festivals they all the males had to come back to when they become a nation in first Samuel, and their first king is Saul, and God had warned Moses when they were in the wilderness forty years in the wilderness, he said. If you go after other gods, I've got four judgments I'll send on you. I'll send the sword. That'll be your enemies coming in. They'll cut you down. The famine the famine will come when I'll either send locusts or no rain or too much rain. And I'll destroy your crops. And the pestilence will be all kinds of disease. And God says, I will put these on you. And if you go so far of just ignoring me... I'll send the beast. That's the world-ruling system. That'll be the Babylonian lion, the Persian bear, the Grecian leopard, the the lion, the bear, and the leopard. And there's reasons for that. And uh, then they'll have the beast with iron teeth, which will be wrong. And it will overthrow all these others. And so here they are in the time of Christ. And this back here is somewhere around fourteen. 50 BC so 1450 years later you get to Jesus and when he's 33 years old they crucify him then up 50 days later comes Pentecost and that's Acts 2 that's what's going on in Acts 2 now that's just a review if you want to get all of this in one message just get my previous DVDs I'm saying that to the people over the internet now we're talking about the the charismatics and the Pentecostals have invented these tongues thing. They say that the tongue started somewhere back around 1904, somewhere either in in uh, Virginia or in the uh, the Joplin, Missouri area, and then it moved out to that Azusa Street, A Z U S A, I think it is. Azusa street out in california and they give that the credit and they say this is somewhere back around 1904 and they say this is the beginning of the last days well i'm sorry that's not the beginning of the last days the last days were here in acts 2 when peter said this is that which was spoken of by the prophet joel that in the last days god would pour out of his spirit when you'll hear this from the Pentecostal, and they'll say, I'm "Going to pour out of His Spirit on all flesh," and they call pouring out of His Spirit a bunch of jumping up and down and acting like fools. That's not the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the truth. John fourteen fifteen sixteen, John fifteen twenty six, John sixteen thirteen, First John five and six. The Spirit is the truth. Truth is the word aletheia. This is what God is going to pour out on all flesh. A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. Aletheia is a construction of the word lanthano. I know some of you have heard this. But I'm trying to give a very uh, elementary definition of all this. I want people to know what it's about. I went into those churches singing as a gospel singer. I knew that was a bunch of garbage that was going on. And it's nothing any more than that. It's 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 trash. If it's not the truth, it's garbage. And it's not the truth. Here's the word truth. Lanthano means to hide. Hide, lie hid. To, to conceal. If God's going to pour out of his truth on all flesh, all flesh has to be an antithetical word. Now, what does that mean? Antithesis, A-N-T-I-T-H-E-S-I-S. Anti means, tithemis, tith, antithesis comes from tithema, T-I-T-H-E-M-I. Meaning to lie. Anti means opposite. Anti means opposite. To lie opposite. So all flesh would lie opposite to one flesh. I've never even heard a preacher even imply that. If the Bible says God going to pour out of his spirit on all flesh, it means he wasn't pouring out of his spirit on all flesh. He was applied on one flesh. When he was applied on one flesh, that was the Jewish flesh. And the Jewish flesh, the only people he gave his truth to, was a system it was a chronological list of people in the old testament started with adam and that was given to that was given to from adam he got the covenant of god and that was given to his son seth and from seth to enosh and from enosh to Canaan to Mahalalel. this is the one flesh that opposes the all flesh Mahalaleel, Jared, and after Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. These are all father, son, grandson, great-grandson, great-great-grandson. Is this all the people there were in the Old Testament? Well, no. This is the only one that God had a covenant with. Every one of these sons had many sons who had many sons, who had many sons, but the covenant wasn't with them. It was with this lineage right here, and you'll find that lineage in Genesis 11, or Genesis 5, excuse me. Genesis 5, and it will resume, Genesis 5, and this was before the flood, then Noah was at the flood, and then after the flood, the lineage resumes with his son Shem, the second-born, and then with his son Arphaxid, and then with his son Salah and Peleg and Reu. And it goes on down to Serug and to Terah, uh, to uh, uh, Ham, not Hamor, I can't even think of the guy's name. Uh, then on down to Terah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. This is the lineage of God right here. This is the one flesh that God gave his truth to, one flesh. The all flesh, since Israel rejected God when Israel became a nation and occupied the land of Israel, God says, "You can have the land, and I'll give you crops." I'll give you children that are healthy. You won't they won't be stillborn. You'll go against you I'll give you your enemies. You'll go against them one way and they'll flee seven ways. If you're not obedient to me, I will send these judgments on you, and the very last thing I will do, I will send I will send upon you the beast. You can see the beast over there in Daniel 7, it is the Babylonian lion. Daniel 7, and it is the Persian bear, well, hold on, let me put the line up there, the Babylonian lion, the Persian bear, the Grecian leopard, and there's reasons for that. The Babylonian lion, the lion being the most regal animal of the jungle, Babylon was the most regal, glorious empire that's ever been. And the bear is the largest carnivore in the world and the largest armies ever up to that point was the Persians. They had, they'd had go against a, an empire with two and a half million men. It was phenomenal what they would attack with. And then the Grecian leopard, the leopard being a, I call it a honed killing machine. If a leopard attacks you in the jungle, if it comes after you, it's hungry. If it comes after you, you're going to die because it's going to kill you and climb to the top of a tree where nobody can get to it, not even the lions. And that's what Alexander the Great was. He was a killing machine. He just had the most fantastic ways of fighting in warfare his his techniques are even studied at West Point. He just is, was a strange guy and then the beast with iron teeth is the last one. everything with iron iron teeth that's Rome, and they literally overthrew these others and subjugated everybody and Iron has to do with Rome. I don't have time to go into that right now now they were scattered. But while they're scattered, they have to come back to these three feasts. And all the males are all over the world. I keep saying this. Maybe I haven't said it enough. They're all over the world. And they're scattered everywhere. I see here. There. So they're having to come back to these feasts, and they're all speaking these different languages, these different dialects. It was Alexander the Great of Greece that gave all the world its different dialects, and its gloss, its foreign languages. If you're Pentecostal, you have to turn the TV off right now because I'm fixing to just squash your, your tongues thing. I hate the tongues thing. People say you're not even, some of them say you're not even saved if you don't speak in tongues. It's a bunch of jabber. Is all it is. It's foolishness. In fact, you can just forget all the history of Israel if it's true. Now, so they're coming back. And they come back for these three feasts, and they had to bring either an animal with them, but they can't do that. They're coming from too far. Some of them are coming from over here as far as Spain over here. The writers of the compendia drew this up. All the arrows point to Israel. They're coming back here. And any time you see Jesus walking through the streets and and his mother and father wonder where he is, it's because they had convoys. They would go, they would come to Jerusalem in the millions. The compendium says that there were probably 12 million people at the Acts 2 festival. That, we're talking about a little bitty tiny town, and they had tents and, and camped around it everywhere. They were trying to learn to get along, and they couldn't even understand each other's languages because they'd been separated all over the world. they have been separated all over the world. Northern Israel in 586 B.C., and 722 B.C., southern Judah in 586 B.C. So in 33 A.D., Add that to 586, they had been scattered for over 600 years in southern Judah. And they're all coming back. They're coming back, and as they come back, they're bringing either half shekel or a lamb with them. These people over here have to bring the half shekel. Maybe if they lived up here north of Israel, they could bring a lamb. But you had to bring that. That was a requirement in these festivals. So they're coming back. They don't even know what each other's saying, and they're standing shoulder to shoulder just stuffed into this little town. I said it last week. They were required to keep their doors open till their house was full, and they had, they had this law of hospitality. They had to look out for each other. So they let everybody come into their house and pile up in a house, and then the rest of them would stay outside in their tents outside the city. But they were trying to have these festivals, and they didn't even know what each other was saying, much less doing. So God gives them this miracle of glossa and dialects. Glossa, which means foreign language. Somebody said last week, could they talk to each other? Well, evidently God gave them the ability to talk to each other because they said, that they God gave them, they spoke with other tongues, other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Other tongue is hetero. Glossa. It means other foreign languages. I'll say it again in case some of you may have missed it. Glossa comes from the word gloss. We get our word glossary from that. Being a reader, an intense reader. A lot of my books have got glossaries in them. A glossary is a section usually in the back of the book. When some writer is writing some very in-depth information, they'll use words that are not common to the average reader. So you can go to the glossary. It's foreign language to you. But glossary means foreign language. And the Bible says... They spoke with other heteroglossa as the Spirit gave them utterance. Pentecostals use that word utterance, and they think that means to make garbledy sounds, going... That's not what that's talking about. The word utterance doesn't mean to talk in garbled tones. It's the word A-P-O-P-H-T-H-E-G-G-O-M-A-I. Apple for think of my means to speak clearly so you can be easily understood, so it 's not garbled tones, and I said it the other week, I'll say it again. understood When you get to verse fourteen acts two fourteen, when Peter lifted up his voice, Peter. Lifted up up his voice and said, That word said is the word Abovathangamai. It's the same exact word as utterance. And he didn't say, Shandalamanda, Kandai, Shandai. He looked at him and said, Ye men of Judea. That wasn't hard to understand, was it? No. Now, when you get over to, well, they, what was coming out of their mouth, the Bible says that they were, look back at Acts 2. Acts 2. Now, now, the Bible says there appeared unto them clo- uh, cloven tongues like as of fire. If you don't know what a tongue of fire is, you're going to be completely lost. Every picture you see in a Pentecostal church, you, are you after Pentecostals? Yes, I'm after the Baptists too for their lives. Every time you see a, uh, one of these men being portrayed in a picture it'll have this kind of a tongue over his head. And it'll be split or cloven right there. Cloven is the word diamorizo, D-I-A, M-E-R-I-Z-O. Diamorizo means petitioned off tongues. They were petitioned, so there were 120 there in the upper room. And they were petitioned off and petition means there's an Ethiopian speaking here, and there is a man from Corinth speaking here, and these people are hearing. They said, how hear we every man in our own tongue, our own dialectos. And then it says the magic words that everything is said in this chapter. They said, how do we hear every man in our own dialect where... In we were born. They were born somewhere over there in the world over the last 600 years where they had been scattered. And some guys up here in Corinth, he's a Jew. He was born there because his parents and grandparents and great grandparents over hundreds of years migrated to there. And he was born speaking a dialect of Corinth. You understand what he's saying? That's why they're saying, here's the whole idea of this. The whole idea is, everyone, these are Jews from every nation under heaven. The whole idea of it is, after these feasts, they're going to go back home, take what they heard Peter speak in their own dialect, they heard it when their dialect and this guy's going to go home God's going to go back home go away to Rome and speak in the dialect of the Roman people there he heard it from Peter's mouth and so did everybody else the guy over here at Carthage he heard it in his ear but it came from Peter's mouth this was the Holy Spirit doing the interpreting and they were preaching what Peter was preaching in Acts 2 was the resurrection which is the gospel the whole idea of these tongues is to get the gospel to all flesh all flesh god had blinded the eyes of the jews because all the time that they were a nation they kept going after the fire god the tree goddess and all these gods, Shemash and Molech and Baal and the grove and Ashtaroth, and the list goes on and on. So God says, you have forsaken me. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to put you in trials for hundreds of years, actually thousands of years. And because all the time you were a nation, from First Samuel to Second Chronicles, a nation under kings... Second Chronicles. You're a nation under kings, and you kept going after these other gods, so I have scattered you, and I've kept you under your laws, Well, you have to go back to Israel every year and go to these feasts. And by the time you get to Jesus, which is in Acts 2, Acts 2 is not the first time they gathered together. They'd been doing that for hundreds of years. And they were very confused. They didn't know how to serve God when they were doing that. So the compendia tells us what they did. They built synagogues all over Jerusalem according to the towns where they were from. They had a Philippian synagogue, and everybody who could speak the Philippian dialect of the Greek language would come to the Philippian synagogue over here in Jerusalem. The guy that was from a long way off over here in Rome or over here in Cyrene, he would go to his respective synagogue where he could understand them. And you had dozens of the synagogues where they would go to so they could at least have a conversation with their own people because they couldn't even converse with each other. They didn't even know what each other was talking about. Like being in a crowd, and you got an Italian here, and you got a Spanish guy here, and you got a uh, uh, some guy from uh, Herzegovina over here, and you got a guy from South Africa here, and they're all speaking, and you got a guy from Russia over here, and they're all Jews, and they're trying to get together and talk to each other and have these festivals, and they're going, What? 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 What did you say? They couldn't even understand each other. So the way they figured they could do that was to build all these synagogues here in Jerusalem. they'd all come back to their synagogues where they could at least have a minimum amount of fellowship. And then comes Pentecost, and God says, I'm going to pour out of my spirit on all flesh, and I'm going to interpret it in your ears so you can go back home and take the message of the resurrection with you. That's what the Bible says the tongues were for when you go over to the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Go back over there. 14th chapter, 1 Corinthians. And what is happening? This Acts 2 is where God is going to spread his gospel throughout the world to the Gentiles because he's right before he comes in Jerusalem. The time came for him to go back to Jerusalem to be crucified. The Bible says he turned his face toward Jerusalem, said it's time. He had always gotten away from the Pharisees before because when they were in one of those feasts, it was so crowded, all he had to do is take a few steps and he'd disappear. And he knew exactly how to disappear since he was God. When he'd say my time is not yet but when his time came he went back to Jerusalem and he he presented himself to them and he said it's time for me to go well he comes into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan 10th of Nisan that's March April and the 14th of Nisan 4 days later The 14th of Nisan is Passover. Isn't this amazing? He came in to be pronounced king of Israel, and they crucified him as the Passover lamb on the very day of the Passover. Now, that's astounding. How did they happen to just take him, the Passover lamb? On the day of the Passover, God arranged it got him right there on time to be crucified. There's no doubt he was crucified on Nisan 14. What all did God have to do and have him go, oh, I guess I hope I'm not late for my appointment as the Passover lamb. No, God had him there scheduled on time. Now, what Peter was preaching at Pentecost was the resurrection in these tongues. Whenever you leave, look in Acts 2 again. When you, It's describing in the first part of the chapter what was going on. But when you get to the last half of that chapter, Peter starts preaching the resurrection to them, and he's talking, and they're hearing in their dialects the first part of the chapter is introducing the fact that they're speaking that they're hearing in their own dialect what Peter is saying in the second half of the chapter that's what you have you have to think of it that way so look back over here in 1 Corinthians 14 Paul is telling them gosh I want to get to that paper I gave you in 1 Corinthians 14 if I don't I'll get to it next week I'm going to have it printed out. I'm ready to go. Now, 1 Corinthians 14. Some is going on in Corinth that wasn't going on in Acts 2. This is not as much of a miracle in in 1 Corinthians 14 as it was in Acts 2. This is a totally different situation. Corinth was a hubbub of a city. I mean, it had had all of these, well, I'll just use this one here. It had, it was the center of the Mediterranean. It was the head of all merchandising. All sailors came from there. You might say, why didn't they come around this end here? This was too rocky here, and at one point, there's a little land bridge there that connects northern greece which is called macedon or macedonia m-a-c-e-d-o-n it's a little land bridge m-a-c-e-d-o-n you remember when paul was over here in troas and he had a vision he's at night and he was dreaming had a vision there's a man over here in macedonia philippi And Thessalonica, where he wrote to the Thessalonians and Philippi, they were Macedonian churches. And northern Greece is called Macedonia. That was also similar to northern Israel because that was considered, that wasn't the educational area. That was where the slugs and the rednecks lived. And the educated areas of Greece was Corinth, In Athens, Athens was a place where they gathered at Mars Hill outside the city to discuss every kind of a god. And Paul goes there and they'd say, let's listen to this fellow speak and see what he's got to say. So he speaks to some heathens there. So the southern Greece was like southern Israel. Southern Israel was ruled by the Pharisees. And they were educated, not very, all they knew was book Books, but they didn't know God. Northern Macedonia was a bunch of country people, and what's so amazing is the guy who gave them all of their education was Alexander the Great, and he was from Macedonia. He wasn't from southern Greece. It's like God threw that in to insult them with or something, you know. But he gives all the world, all of its cultures, customs, its idioms, its metaphors, and gives them all of these gloss and these dialects. So, where was I going to go with this? All right now, back over here to the fourteenth chapter of of First Corinthians, I said last week, there's not a word of commendation in this whole chapter. It is a word- it's words of correction. First Corinthians wasn't God wasn't commending them about nothing. He called them down about everything that they did. I don't know why preachers won't say that because they don't know anything about it. In fact, he tells them back in the third chapter, he says in the third chapter, uh, verse 1, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, because you're not spiritual. You're like children. But as unto carnal... And even as babes in Christ. Now, Paul is telling the church at Corinth, they're carnal, they're fleshly. The word carnal is the word sarkikos. That's A R K I K O S. And the word flesh is the word sarks. And sarkikos is a form of, it means fleshly. You are fleshly in your ways, you're just not adult and grown up. And he goes on to say that. He says, you're carnal. I've had heard preachers say there's No such thing as a carnal Christian will tell Corinth that. <laughs> they certainly were. Paul said they were. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear the meat, neither are you now able, for ye are still carnal. You're fleshly. For whereas there is among you envyings, the word is zealous, it means you can get heated and hot, and malice is in your hearts because you're arguing all the time. That's what it is to be like to be a baby believer, and you're full of envying and strife. Eris is the word strife. Eris comes from erothea, Erithea, E R I T H E A. That means to deal with factions in the church. It means to be. Uh, intrigue involved in intrigue intrigue is like spying going on he's, uh, the writer said it has the idea of standing over at the side and gossiping about the main body the preacher and all the rest of the people and always complaining and griping because you don't like what's going on so he's telling this church this is what you are and you've got all kinds of divisions uh you split in the church. Dicostasy is the word division. D-I-C-H-O-S-T-A-S-I-A. It means two deco, we get the word die or duo from that. It means two standings. You're trying to uh argue with each other and say I'm right and this and saying no, I'm right. And you're, are you not carnal and walk as men? So this is showing you just how frail the church at Corinth was. Go back over here to the 14th chapter. I'm going to kind of read through this 14th chapter and see if I can get to, back to the point I was getting to about tongues are for preaching the gospel. That's what it's for. But it wasn't just preaching the gospel to the devout Jews there. They're all going to take the gospel back to the world after these festivals. That's pouring out of God's Spirit on all flesh. It's not, praise God, Whoa! That's not pouring out of God's Spirit on nothing. That's just being foolish. That's just jumping up and down. It's got nothing to do with anything. Now, and you know, Pentecostals get mad when they hear me say this. If I'm telling you the truth, you better find out because that is the most foolish, makes no sense gospel that you're believing. It's another gospel, another Jesus, another spirit, which is not God's spirit. God's spirit, like I said, means to take the cover off. God's going to take the cover off of the blinded eyes of the Gentiles from Adam until Jesus. And when Paul goes to the world, he writes back to him Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He goes to first and second Timothy. Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus. Titus was passing the church at Crete. That was to all Gentiles they were writing to. And that's what Paul's writings are for. He was a missionary to the Gentiles, to the all flesh. All flesh are all men. Let me remind you, let me remind you, there's a word that the Jews uses, synecdoche, S-Y-N-E-C-D-O-C-H-E. Synecdoche means a part of something is the whole of something. A part is the whole. There were eight men saved, or eight people saved in the ark. All men were saved in the ark, in the flood. All men. Everybody that's living in the world today came out of the ark. Synecdoch means a part as the whole. If one red man, if one black man, if one white man, if one brown man and one yellow man was saved, they would say all men were saved because the part was the whole so instead of the Jews getting the truth there their eyes were blinded when Jesus comes in Jerusalem and from Acts 2 the prophecies that God would pour out of his spirit on all flesh through the dialects the dialects and glossa this was God's plan and the Jews are blinded as of Acts 2 as of actually right after right before Jesus comes into Jerusalem they crucify him he says in the 19th chapter of Luke if thou hadst known even thou in this thy day the things that belong to thy peace Jerusalem but now they're hidden from your eyes and you're blind so God has not blinded at least till the end I hope there's a remnant in Israel that's going to be believers and I hope that we can be a part of getting the message to them because we've gotten at least 400 of our tapes over there our messages was given to a rabbi there who converted over to this truth and he passed them out throughout Israel I hope that we can be a part of that now let's keep reading here in 14 14th chapter of 1st Corinthians follow after charity, charity is agape that's walking in the commandments of God follow after charity chapter 13 is about agape learn to pit these chapters one against the other kind of learn this Chapter 12. Does anybody remember what chapter 12 was? It was about the gifts of God to the apostles, to Israel, special gifts. But you get to chapter 13, that's about agape, walking the commandments of God. And at the very end of chapter 12, Paul says, Let me show you a more excellent way than all these gifts to the Jews to get them to follow Paul or Jesus. They had special gifts. But he says there's a greater way than this, and that's agape. And this agape is going to, in chapter 14, is going to be sent through all the world to the Gentiles by glossa and dialectos. And Paul says, I don't want anybody coming to the church here at Corinth they had only God knows how many gloss and dialects they had going on in that town had to be dozens of them and they had to be people coming into the church and Paul saying don't come in here without somebody interpreting what you're saying I don't want people jabbering if the Pentecostals were right about tongues they're wrong if they were right they're wrong because they get on TV and it's just like a bunch of gibber jabber and nobody's interpreting nothing are they y'all have seen them on TV do that hadn't you Kenneth Copeland get on there and they'll they'll say praise the Lord God just throw that in there Dave <laughs> thought that was funny have you been to those you have it. They're crazy. They'll just throw that in. And they'll show them to God. Praise God. Y'all seen them do that, haven't you? It's crazy. <laughs> well, I think it's funny, too. Now, chapter 4, uh, he says in chapter 12, the very last the very last verse of chapter 12, but covet earnestly the best gift, and yet show unto you a more excellent way, huperballo. It means way beyond, above the gifts of chapter 12. And then he tells you what the more excellent way is. It's agape in chapter 13. Then he moves you to chapter 14. Chapter 14, he says, follow charity. Follow charity the previous chapter, what it does. In fact, it'll tell you what it does in verse 4. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity, or agape, not itself. Doesn't raise itself up. Is not puffed up. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek its own way. It's not easily provoked. It's quiet and gentle. Thinketh no evil toward the world it just says this is what God wants rejoiceth not in iniquity but rejoiceth with truth it doesn't run around with people who don't believe God beareth all things whatever God sends to you you'll bear it believes all things that God has said and hopes all things that he has us to hope for endures all things and charity never fails but whether there be prophecies they shall fail whether there be tongues they shall cease whether there be knowledge it shall vanish away Then he says, when the perfect is come, the tongues will be done away. And he goes along with that, and he says, when when I was a child, I spake as a child. When the church is a child, it has these gifts of chapter 12. When you grow up, you walk in God's commandments of chapter 13. And then the world is going to get all of the messages to all the Gentiles all over the world. How are they going to get it when all these Jews go back home from these festivals and they take it and they preach what they heard Peter say over here in their own dialect? Peter wasn't preaching in their dialect. They were hearing it. How hear we, ever man, in our own dialect when we were born? I hope you got that. He wasn't preaching in their dialect. He was preaching and it was going to their ears in their dialect. That was the miracle. Now, let's keep on reading. In this chapter, Paul said, I don't want anybody saying anything in the church that can't be understood by everybody here. We've got some Spanish sailors coming through here. we got some Italian salespeople coming through here. And you want to stand up and give your opinion? Don't do it. And then he says, he that speaketh in a, it doesn't say unknown in verse 2. He that speaks in a gloss of Doesn't talk to men, but he talks to God, and God don't need you talking to him. That's what Paul is saying. For no man understands him, and the whole idea of getting together here is for men to understand. God doesn't need your explanations in your foreign language. If he's the only one that can hear you, he don't need to hear you. And then he says... He that speaketh an unknown tongue edifies himself. Oikodomeo means to build up a house. He builds up his own house, and he's not ever to be edifying himself. He's to edify the church. That's what the Bible says. Now, I'm going to skip down here where I've already read through a lot of this. Verse 6, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with gloss of foreign languages, what profit is it going to profit you if I talk to you in Spanish and you don't know Spanish I don't come here on Tuesday night I don't know Spanish got would be just talking in the air as far as I was concerned I know a word down in but I don't know enough Spanish to sit here and I don't have time to go and learn it I'd like to I just don't have the time at my age except i speak to you either by revelation that you can understand or by knowledge it's not knowledge if it's in a foreign language it's only knowledge gnosis if it's something you can understand if i say 2 plus 2 is 4 the only reason you can understand that is because you know your multiplication tables or how to add and subtract or by prophesying which has to be where you can understand or by doctrine Doctrine is, uh, the word didache, it means instruction. It's not instruction if I'm talking in a foreign language and you don't understand it. It's not instruction. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he's talking about, I want everybody at Corinth to understand what's being said. Don't anybody coming in here jabbering in some unknown language. Verse 7, even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction, difference, diastole, d-i-s-t-o-l-e. It has to be distinct in sound. You have to know what the sound means. And he goes on to say that. How shall it know what is piped or harped? And if a trumpet give an uncertain sound, how's a man going to prepare himself to battle? If you're on the battle line and you're on your horse and you've got your lance and your spear in your hand and your sword at your side, and all of a sudden the trumpet player starts playing taps, how are you going to know what to do? That's supposed to put you to bed. Trumpets are a... Voice. And they'll tell you what to do. I went to military school. When they sounded reveille in the morning, that meant get up. Breakfast is on the table. And when they would sound assemble, they'd give an assembly sound, and you knew exactly what to do. It was an instruction. That's what it's a trumpet's for. There are seven trumpets in Revelation eight, nine, and ten. Each one of them has a specific, distinct distinction in sound of what it's talking about so likewise you accept you utter by the tongue easy words easy to be understood let me repeat that words easy to be understood words easy to be understood can you hear that Pentecostals words easy to be understood how shall it be known what is spoken for you just talking to the air you're not supposed they can take all these words and say so you're supposed to talk in the air and you're supposed to talk to God no you're not supposed to be gathering there at the church to speak to the men so you can instruct them in God's instruction. Not in a foreign language. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification. I can't believe it, men don't know that. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. You're worthless, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. One guy knows Spanish, the other guy's a Russian, and they're trying to talk to each other. It's there's not a commendation in this whole chapter to talk to God or to talk in a language that nobody understands. Even so, ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts. Seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue. Notice the word unknown is italics. It's not, unknown is not in the text. He that's speaking in a glossa, I have said, dialect is not in this chapter. It's because they, Paul is talking about All these soldiers, sailors, and salesmen coming through Corinth, coming in there with an opinion about their belief. Pray that he may interpret, but you can't interpret. It means to translate. But you don't pray, God, give me an interpretation of this man's language when I've never studied it. Those people, a lot of them spoke a lot of different dialects and a lot of glossa. Because it, it was all over the place. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. If I pray in forget the word unknown. If I pray in a glossa, in a foreign language, but what I understanding is what I understand is unfruitful. And the Pentecostals say, my understanding is unfruitful. It's only fruitful to God. It's not fruitful to me or anybody else. It's not any good if it's not fruitful to you or or the people that's listening to you. That's not a commendation. That's a condemnation there. And what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit. Truth. I will pray with understanding. Also, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with understanding so everybody can know what I'm singing. Else or else when thou shalt bless with the spirit how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen how can somebody say it is so that's what amen means or it is truth at the giving of thanks seeing he understandeth not what's being said notice what he's doing he's reprimanding people for saying things in a language that can't be understood that's what he's said all through this he's the Pentecostals have turned this down around and made it. You need to talk to God and need to pray an unknown language so that my understanding is unfruitful and only God will understand it. That's crazy. That's not even what this is saying. For thou verily giveth thanks well, but, other, but the other is not edified. I thank my God and I speak with tongues more than you all. I understand a lot of gloss because I'm a very educated man is what he's saying. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that my voice, that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a glossa. I'd rather have five words you can understand than 10,000 words in this unknown tongue you're talking about. I don't know why no Pentecostals never quoted that. Why are you after them so much? I believe it's one of the biggest Pentecostalism charismatic doctrine appeals to the flesh. It's exciting; it makes you jump up and down. They have all these super bands and instruments and and singers, and they all can really rock out for Jesus. I don't believe in rocking out for Jesus. When the Bible says, "Singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs," there at Ephesians the fifth chapter. The word spiritual is the word cos. N P N E U N-P-N-E-U-M-A-T-I-K-O-S. That word means non-carnal. Do you actually believe gospel singers stand up and going, rocking out for Jesus? Come on, God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You think that's spiritual, non-carnal? Shaking their booty? You think that's what spiritual is? It is not I resent that because I was in that business. I know what's going on backstage, a lot of cussing, guys looking at women, saying things they don't have any conviction because they know nothing about the Bible. Waiting for their turn so they can say, wait till we get out there. We'll knock them dead, won't we? Yeah. I don't. I don't if you're in the pop music world, you're going to do that. That's what you're supposed to do gospel singers are some of the most disgusting people I've ever been around in my life because they're full of pride and arrogance and lifted up now brethren be not children in understanding how be it in malice be children children don't hold things in malice be children they get over things real quick don't they they may be arguing one minute and about three minutes later they're buddying and paddling over in the sandbox again aren't they but in understanding be men. And the Lord is written with men of other tongues and other lips, will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me. Wherefore tongues are for a sign. glossa is for a sign. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. The only sign to the unbeliever... Has to be expressed in glossa, and the unbeliever is talking about the Gentiles because the Gentiles are here at are here at Corinth. Tongues are for a sign. Tongues, glossa, foreign languages, foreign languages, are for a sign. Word sign is the word Simeon. It means a flag, a beacon, a pointer. Tongues were used to point at something, and a pointer. I use this illustration a lot. There's a building down the street and on the top of the building it says Firestone. Been in there for buy things there. Firestone. Firestone does not mean there's a stone on fire right under it. Does it? It means there are tires down here. You pull up on Old Shackle Island Road over there at the railroad track and there's this track there and there's this I don't know if they got I don't think they got a cross thing up there but at some of them they'll have this they'll have these little red lights in here and they'll have this bar comes down here and when that starts dinging and these are tracks and this bar comes down that is a simeon that's a flag it's a signal it's pointing down to the road here that there's a train coming. That's a simeon right there. Well, there's a flag or a beacon. Tongues or a beacon to point at the resurrection. And that's exactly what they were used for in Acts 2 because Peter's going to preach the resurrection, which is the gospel. Paul said I declare you the gospel of Christ so what they hear in their own language wherein they were born is the resurrection or the gospel and they're all going to take back in their own tongue their own dialect their own glossa, back to where they're from they're going to take this message that Peter is preaching in these glossa and dialects that's what this is all about pouring out of God's spirit on all flesh it's not what those people are talking about. They, All flesh to them means you jump up and down, and you scream and shout and holler and run down, the, run down the aisle and swing around the end post and come back down, fall down and bust your head and bleed. And one guy said, I'm bleeding for Jesus. Or the preacher said that. The guy did that in Fort Worth one time. The guy fell and hit his head on the altar and started blood, started gushing. out. the preacher got up and said, he's bleeding for Jesus. No, he's not. He's an idiot, just like you are. Golly. I've seen people do crazy things. they that's for Jesus. No, it's not. <laughs> so you can show your knuckleheadedness. in Good grief. So, if tongues are for a sign, then believe not. What did Jesus tell the Pharisees in Matthew 16? They came seeking a sign because that's what they got in the Old Testament. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell up. For 40 years, their feet didn't swell up in 120, 25 degrees heat. How that was a miracle, that was a sign. They got bread in the morning, does in the evening. They had a cloud today and a fire by night that they could follow, and boy, when that cloud started moving, the Kohathites, which were Levites, grabbed up everything and started following the cloud. That was their sign. And Jesus said, There will no be no more sign given you, but the sign the only sign to the unbeliever will be the sign of the prophet Jonah. And what was his sign? He was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights, and the third day, resurrection. He says, that's your sign. Resurrection is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Sign of Jonah. Sign of Jonah. That's the only sign to unbelieving Pharisees, he said, is the resurrection. And the resurrection is the gospel according to 1 Corinthians 15, one through 4, I declare unto you the gospel that which I also received, how that Christ died and was buried and resurrected again the third day. So, if tongues are for a sign, a Simeon, then they, when tongues are preached, the resurrection of the gospel has to be preached. Is that what was happening in Acts, the second chapter? Well, let's look at it and see. Peter's preaching... And these gloss and these dialects. Let's look and see what Peter's preaching. Acts 2. All right. We're going to have to move on down in the chapter just to see what he's preaching. So, I'll come back to this part of the chapter. And Peter starts to speak to the people now gosh I don't know where to Peter's preaching verse 22 ye men of Israel hear these words when he is preaching he's not preaching in English when he's preaching he's preaching and they are hearing these words in their own dialect wherein they were born that's what the Bible is talking about when they say how here we have a man in our own tongue verse 8 our own dialect wherein we were born So here's Peter preaching, and they're hearing. I don't know if he's preaching in his northern Galilean dialect, because he's not an educated man. He's a fisherman. And these are Jews from all over the world, and they can't understand his northern Galilean dialect, even though they're Jews. Well, Jim, what happened to the Hebrew language? Why aren't they all talking in Hebrew? Alexander the Great gave the common language to all the world, the common street language. The Hebrews were controlling, the Pharisees put it that way, were controlling the Hebrew language. They had more or less deified the Hebrew language, and they said they only used that in the temple and among the scholars, among the doctors of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. That's the only people who use the Hebrew language. Everybody was speaking in some dialect of the Greek Koine. Even Paul told the when he was taken by the Roman soldiers, he said, Can I one of the soldiers said, Do you speak Greek? He said, I do. And the Bible says he stepped forward and spoke in the Hebrew tongue. The word is dialectos. He spoke in the Hebrew dialect. And it didn't mean the Hebrew language. It meant the Hebrew dialect that was going on there in Israel. The Hebrew dialect of the Greek. Now, was Peter preaching the resurrection here in Acts 2? That's exactly what he was doing. Let's read on here. Ye men of Israel, verse 22, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles approved Apodignumi means to set out as an example by miracles the word is dunamis don't have time to go into that that doesn't mean some magnificent pulling a rabbit out of a hat that doesn't mean that dunamis the gospel is the dunamis the bible says and wonders and signs Teras means prodigy in that place which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Jesus being delivered by the determinate. Determinate is the word horidzo. Prohoridzo is the word predestinate. You find that again being spoken in this same fashion over in Acts 4.28. I won't go into that right now. Being delivered by the determinate it is a past tense verb being an aorist indicative it's past tense so horizo becomes prohorizo by the tense of the verb so let's put it this way him being delivered by the predestinated counsel counsel is the word it means will by the purpose and will of God and foreknowledge of God, prognosis, foreknowledge, prognosis, g n o s i s, prognosis, predetermined, forethought of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now he's going to talk about Jesus being crucified and resurrected. How much time do I have, Mike? How much? 18. Okay. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of death in that tomb. It's not possible that death can hold God in a tomb. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand, and every bit of this is spoken so these men could hear it in their own dialect when they were born. And he's about to talk about Jesus being raised from the tomb, which is the gospel, which is the only sign to the unbelieving Gentiles when all these men here at, at, at Jerusalem are going to go back to their foreign countries and take the word back to all flesh of the Gentile world that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Jesus didn't go to hell. Hell is the word. Hades. Let me tell you what that means. I've told you before. Hades is a construction of the word ido, and the alpha privative. E-I-D-O means to see. The alpha privative is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. A-iddo is actually the word Hades. There's no H's in the Greek. There's the diacritical mark that has a breathing sound. Ha! Hades. It is a construction of ito, meaning to see and the alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. When put in front of a word as the alpha privative, it negates the word it's in front of and gives an opposite meaning. The alpha privative That means no seeing. It means the place of the unseen. No seeing. The Jews called the tomb. They said, there's two places for the dead. You have the dead unbeliever. This is the way the Jews looked at it. You can get this out of any number of my books. you can get it out of out of uh commentary on the New Testament from the Talmud and the Hebraic about Lightfoot. You can get it out of some of my encyclopedias and you have the dead the dead believers They said. That the un, that the dead unbelievers were in a tomb that you could not see the person, so that was unseen, and they said their spirits were in an evil place of unseen, and that was what we would call hell, or or the place of the everlasting punishment, and the dead believers they had a, a uh, a dead body in a tomb that you could not see, and they were in heaven with the Lord, and you could not see them there. That's what they would call Hades. I used to hear these Baptist preachers when I was a kid say, "It's not Hades; it's H E W L L." Has anybody ever heard a preacher say that? Dumb, dumb. It's Hades. Uh, they got that from Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was the most famous preacher in America in about 1908, 1906, long before Billy Graham. He'd get a chair and hold it up in the air and say, It's L hell, nah it's not Hades. And of course, he was completely uneducated, just goofy. And people tried to mimic him. I think my father tried to mimic him. They'd raise chairs and do all kinds of actions. Well, that was Hades. Jesus' body was not left in the tomb because he resurrected he didn't go down to hell gosh I could tell the story about that Pat Robertson was asked one day (laughs) it's the dumbest answer I've ever heard a man give concerning the Bible i never heard anything as stupid in my life some business guy stood up and said brother Pat he has this audience and it's time for question and answers. This business guy with his fancy suit on, his three piece suit, stood up and said, Brother Pat, did Jesus go down to hell to preach to the spirits in prison? I was going, Gosh, I'm waiting for this. And Pat starts sweating bullets and It's a question nobody wants to be asked. The spirit's in prison with the Gentiles. Prison means, Fulaka means the division of dead, night, light, and darkness. And they were in darkness from Adam until Jesus. And that goes with this message of all flesh. And uh, Pat said, yes, he went to hell to preach to everybody in hell and said if everybody in hell could come out of hell from the Old Testament times and could come out of hell and a lot of them wanted to stay there. We didn't say that, but that's what they said. It's like stupid. I thought, golly, and your audience is going to buy that? It's just, spirits in prison is the most difficult verse to answer. If you ask a college professor in a seminary, what's the most difficult verse in the Bible? They'll talk about First Peter 2.18, spirits in prison. And it's part of this picture up here. Prison, Fulake means the division of day and night of light and darkness. And the Gentiles were in a prison house, the Bible says, from Adam until Jesus. Then they were brought out of prison when God brought out of his spirit on all flesh. That's real easy when you look at this as one great big huge picture. Isn't it? Y'all understand that, don't you? It's like falling off a log. And they call it hard because they don't ever go back to any definitions. So he's preaching the resurrection here so they can hear in their dialects and he's preaching it with other gloss. I don't know exactly how they did it, but that's what's going on right here. In fact, this is quoted as Psalm 16 and 10. Look at that. Psalm 16. Now this will show you what the... Equivalent in the Old Testament of of Hades is, the equivalent of the Old Testament is here in, this is uh, David in distrust of merit, flees to God for preservation. He shows the hope of his calling of the resurrection and of life everlasting and he says these same words in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My, my flesh shall rest in hope for thou wilt not leave my soul in Sheol. Old Testament word, Sheol. So Sheol equals Hades, Right? if the same words are quoted by David and they're requoted by Peter in Acts 2, thou wilt leave my soul in Sheol or in the grave, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to seek corruption. The Jews believed that the soul hung around where it died for four days. So Jesus' resurrection, three days. He's going to keep the Jews confused, but that's why he waited four days to go and raise Lazarus. He got the word, <coughs> "He whom thou lovest is to sick and sick." In John eleven, and he waited two days in Perea. He's on the other side of Jordan. And then he came back, and Lazarus had been dead for four days. And he told his disciples, "He said, I was glad I was not there to the intent that you might believe." Lazarus is dead and you knew he was dead and he raised Lazarus from the dead now let's keep reading here so he is preaching in these glossin and dialectos this resurrection message and all the men listening are going to take it back home Without understanding these festivals, without understanding these dialects and glossa, without understanding this picture, and you just accept that Pentecostal message, you're going to be in the dark, aren't you? I hate Pentecostalism. I've said it so much, this message, because it leads people astray into lies. I don't like it. don't like the faith healing at all. It just bothers me. That how in the world could the greatest faith healers that ever lived... Oral Roberts and Kenneth Hagin, they got two institutes. One's got a university out there in Tulsa, and Kenneth Hagin's got Hagin's institute out there, and he's the one that brought the positive confession movement to America in the 40s, and Oral Roberts got a hold of it. They go around and tell everybody, good you say it, and you get it. That positive confession thing, that's a lie. None of those verses are what they call them. I believe the Charismatic Pentecostal movement is the most dangerous thing in the Protestant church today. I mean, at least Episcopalians, when they have a woman preacher and she marries another woman, well, that's obvious, isn't it? You don't have to sit around and think about that, do you? You're just going, wow. And somebody's telling me about a, an Episcopal woman that she had a wife, and I thought she was a pastor. I can see that. When you get somebody off and you twist the words and you don't define them anymore. So what Peter's preaching here at Pentecost is the resurrection of the gospel, isn't he? And all these men hearing are going to take it back home after these festivals. Because they're hearing it in their dialect and all they have to do is go home and say, here's what I heard and it comes out their mouth. And God's word will accomplish where he sends it thou hast made known to me the ways of life thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance men and brethren verse 29 let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his sepulchre is with us unto this day therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath unto him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh he would Raise up Christ to sit on his throne, and Christ is the seed of David. He, seeing this before, spake the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, neither his flesh did see corruption. Rigor mortis didn't sit in. He wasn't stiff. He was laying there, and God the Father brought him to life. And that's the resurrection that's being preached at Pentecost to all of these Jews from every nation under heaven with all these different dialects and glossa. And they're going to go home and pour out of God's Spirit or His truth in all the flesh of the world. And now we all have that. And that's why he said... Do I have any time, Mike? Three minutes. I'll come back next week. That paper I gave you in verse 21. The first time it ever says it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no such word as whosoever in the Greek language. No such word. I've given you this and I'll come back and go through it next week. I went through the word whosoever. Most of it's not there in it. When you look in a concordance, to the right of the word it's mostly blank space space. In the translators just put a few words in there. You got a hundred, two hundred words in there that are whosoever. It's not there. It's either usually it's in John three sixteen it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that not whosoever that that they believing all shall have everlasting life. These hey believing p p i s t e u o n and the n is like a v. Yes. S is like this P-I-S-T-E-U-O-N that they believing pos they it's not hey it's ho ho is masculine and gender singular on is masculine and gender singular it's a participle participles are verbal adjectives it tells which, what kind of how many it tells which all the believing all doesn't say whosoever believes in him, it absolutely does not say that it never says whosoever the Bible does not say whosoever will may come nowhere it's either pos all, singular masculine gender, and I've got it on here every time it says pos, it's masculine gender. 24 ways to spell the pos is always masculine gender singular always I need to give you a copy of that of that chart of the there are no indefinite articles in the Greek pos is a definite article it's it's talking about there's only one all and what is the all the all is the sheep it's the flock flock is one isn't it church. It's the church. That's one, isn't it? It's all the sheep that's in the flock. It's the wife that's in the church. It's one all. That's it. What is the one all? It's all those that belong to God. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. All is the word pos. John 6, 30, 7. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Pos that he gives to me whosoever will makes people think whoever's willing well it's true whoever's willing the reason that was put in acts two is because this is the first time and i understand what the translators are doing they were opening the door to the gentile world so instead of whosoever they needed to put something like the all believing shall have everlasting life or the believing all Tells which all. There's one all. It's the church. It's the wife. It's the bride. It's the flock. You know what I got to thinking today? I know you don't know, but I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I got to thinking the translators must have, they must have had a lot of free will people on the translating committee. Because there's things that. I may bring this back Sunday and Sunday morning, because I got some things to say about that on Sunday morning about the translators they translated some things to keep it from sounding like God was doing doing God brought all the evil upon men. They don't like that they're trying to absolve God of blame, and that's why some of these so-called reformers they don't want to say God creates evil, well, he predestined us to be his children but He just left the rest to himself. No, he didn't. You can't go to hell by your own will. You have to go to hell by the will of God. If you're going, I'm through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Teach us what this is all about. Lord, I'm really grieved and sad. Give me strength to keep standing. I'll keep standing. I pray you'll give us all strength to keep on, keep it on for you. Fight our battles, Lord. Fight all of our enemies. We can't fight them. They're too many. They're too unreasonable. These your elect, we'll praise you for all things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm trying to work my way to that the all flesh being called by the resurrection. You gotta be more positive, Mr Brown. <laughs> I know that, Dave. Wait a minute. No, I'm just don't don't leave. Oh, okay. I gotta give you something. Right. Well, if you're like Christ you gotta be Men of sorrows and acquainted with grief, don't we? That's the way we have to be. I'm grieved that I look at a world that don't believe God, and it just depresses me every day. Preachers that claim to be reformers believe in predestination, they don't.